you show this level is good and they're good against the guys as well, I think that's so much more powerful. Welcome to Room 501 podcast. Um, today we're sat with Katie Munnings. So Katie is a 22-year-old British rally superstar, racing part of the Red Bull team, European rally champion by the time she was 19, done a lot of work to inspire um, female drivers getting involved in competitive sports, notably most promising young talents in the British driving scene and previously a presenter for CBBS on, on Kids TV. Katie's also claimed the RC Ladies Trophy. She's the first British driver in 49 years to win an ERC. Big stakeholder for uh, for women in, in sport and obviously male-dominated markets, which is something we're going to talk about a little bit. Hi, Katie. You all right? Oh, yeah. Good to be here. Thanks for having me. Where did it all start getting into racing rally cars? Um, it was kind of my upbringing. So it wasn't something that I kind of looked at and said, I really want to go racing because by the time I was old enough to know what a car was, I was already sat in one with my dad. Um, he was a rally driver and he used to compete over in Belgium quite a lot. Um, and he was really fast, but he never really had the budget to do it properly. Um, and so when he sort of had kids, he then went on to be an instructor. So he was running the Brands Hatch Rally School and London Rally School. Um, and so he was a really good instructor there. Um, and I used to go to work with him and sit in the passenger side. So that was probably my first taste of motorsport. Um, probably I was about five, I'd say. Um, and I absolutely loved the adrenaline rush of it. Seeing like, because I'd be sat so small in the seat and I could see the trees going past, you know. And that's all I could see. I couldn't see the road because I was so short. And the speed of it, I just really got an amazing sensation. And I think still to this day, every time I sit in a passenger seat side of the rally car, I still get that buzz. Um, it's, it is, it feels something else when you're in the passenger side. And when you're driving, you feel quite in control and quite normal. But as soon as you sit in the passenger side, it's like, this person is a maniac. <laughs> um, this is so fast. Um, so yeah, I think that's probably how I got into it. Um, and then I started, um, I grew up kind of on a family farm where we've got, um, well, we had a, a, like a motorsport entertainment company. Um, he stopped working as a rally instructor and started doing like quad biking events and Honda Pilot buggies and clay pigeon shooting, all that kind of stuff. Um, so I grew up in old cars around the family farm. Um, and then I went on to auto testing when I was 14. That was kind of uh, just learning basic car control, slides, um, handbrake turns, reverse flicks, and all that kind of stuff. Um, and that was just purely because he wanted me and my sister to have some basic knowledge of car handling before we went out on the road. You know, if you do your test in, in like Belgium or wherever, you have, you have to go on a skid pan and you have to be able to show that you're in control. If the car gets out of control, you, you, know, you know what you're doing behind the wheel. We don't really have anything like that in England. Um, and where I live is quite remote. There's, um, it's country and so you know in the winter there's snow and there's ice out there and um driving to school he was like there's no way my daughters are gonna crash on the snow <laughs> like that with no experience so that's why we started auto testing um and I really caught the bug for competition from there and then I, w I went into rallying and um, that seemed to be where I kind of I, I think it was the challenge that um, enticed me towards it. I sat as a passenger um, for my first rally experience um with Peugeot Sport in France and it was literally off the side of Mont Blanc mountain and I just remember sitting next to this French guy, he was a French champion, and the sheer speed and the skill, everything about it, I was so blown away. And I just I caught the bug for it then. It was a massive challenge for me. And it was something that um, I just thought I've got to be able to do that because it was so cool. Um, and that's kind of what got me into it. That would terrify me. I think, <laughs> I think the control thing's a big thing because, like, if you're not in control, it's scary isn't it like yeah and i think a lot of the time that. on gravel it seems like the driver's out of control it's you know even though they are in control from the passenger side you really do get that sensation sliding a car's not basic handling skills surely i'm not talking about parallel parking <laughs> uh, speaking of parallel parking though in your test um i read even though you've done all this like world champion rally driver talk us through your driving test <laughs> 
my driving test i think what i'd done was i was trying to pass my test really quickly um so i didn't know i think i had one lesson with a driving instructor um and i actually going back before that the first day that i started driving on the road bearing in mind i'd always driven on grassy fields and like mud tracks i'd never been on tarmac so i didn't know what the grip was it sounds really stupid to someone that drives on tarmac all the time but if you're driving on grass or um in mud you have to be so sensitive with the brake otherwise you just completely lock up the wheels so it's you, you don't press the brake very hard whereas on tarmac you can get away with so much even in the wet um and the first day, it was my, my birthday's in November, so it was really rainy. Um, and where I live, as I said, it's country lane, so there's quite a lot of mud on the road and that kind of thing. And I was literally, I pulled out the end of our road. Um, I'd probably driven about 200 meters. Um, and then a bus came round, bearing in mind it's narrow lane. A bus came round quite quickly on, in the middle of the road. And I was like, oh my God, I'm not going to stop. So we just heard, like, there was a little, uh, it's quite narrow, there's ditches on the outside, but there's a little driveway. And I'm just heading straight for the driveway. I'm slowing down on the brake, but obviously not pushing it hard enough because I thought I was going to lock up the wheels. So I'm just slowing down. And my dad's sitting next to me going, brake, 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 I'm going to hand brake. And I was going to try and di dosh, uh, like dish out of the way and then back on the road. The bus goes past us and dad obviously panics, pulls a handbrake on and spins us into the middle of the road. So I had to do this 360 in my country lane. That was literally the first time I'd driven out on the road. And from wow. there, I, I think I drove another hour and a half down to Brighton. <laughs> after I'd done that, after I'd spun that on the road, I was thinking, oh my God, I literally can't believe it. I said to dad, look, I'm never driving again. I don't want to do it. So he drove us and we sat in a coffee shop and he explained to me the difference and you know how, how you've got to be on the brake and everything. And then, I, then from there, I was like, okay, but... That was kind of my first driving experience. And then during my driving test, I actually failed my driving test first time because I literally was a roundabout. I pulled out on a bus. I, well, pulled out on the bus. Still to, still to debate this day. I got past. No, the bus didn't have to slow down. In my eyes, it was okay, but maybe it wasn't cautious enough. Um, so yeah, I failed my driving test first time for that. Um, but yeah, I passed the second time, so I was okay. That baffles me. I was someone, obviously with your skill in a car, Bell's driving you know what it was and it was one of those situations where the driving instructor said look i can obviously see you know how to drive uh, but technically i can't pass you and i was like oh my god i was gutted i remember it yeah. i didn't tell anyone for ages i told everyone that i passed first time <laughs> Wrong. yeah you just go with, yeah go with that we'll, we'll get rid of this out of the, <laughs> out of the podcast <laughs> growing up on a farm with motorsport um to be fair i grew, I grew up on a farm and we had like quad bikes and stuff like that so i kind of get it but obviously that's not a normal upbringing for a kid and it does create that sort of fearlessness to just jump and stuff my little brother's better at it than i am but he can just jump in like go-karts or whatever and he just doesn't care that's not a normal thing for most people do you think that then set you up for later on that sort of lack of fear around going fast competing i think it's definitely a big part of it um i think that you know having that as a kid having the um the want to learn and to want to be better in the competitiveness even if it was just with the other instructors that my dad would have coming around or you know i was i mean i was a kid these were like you know at the time they, they seemed really old to me but they were probably only like 20 year old instructors or whatever and i always remember trying to keep up with them in the woods and trying to be as fast as them over the jumps and all that kind of thing um so i think that side of it really helped i think the as you said the fearlessness because i'd been around such um well extreme not you know not extreme but to extreme to normal people vehicles that i'd kind of um they were normal to me and that was kind of um i felt more comfortable on a quad bike than i would, would do in a car and i probably still do to be fair um but um there yeah i guess it's not normal but to, i think when you do it 
kind of religiously and that becomes your day-to-day life it does seem more normal um having said that i still you know if i'm still i still get nervous when i go to rallies because it's not you know high speed like that with the helmets on and everything it's not a you know normal environment especially because we don't get to practice that much um so it does feel different every time we get in and i still get nervous and i think that's part of the sport as well but definitely having to i think my parents always kind of told us get on with it have a go you know don't be worried about getting muddy and i think that side of it is probably what sucked the most and um to just get up and have a go even if you're nervous I think it taught me that that feels really good when you succeed at something after you've been like that yeah so I was going to talk about that a little bit later on but you've mentioned it already so I'll jump to it but um you'd said like it's not a normal situation to be in having sort of fast decision making the sort of danger of what could go wrong at those sorts of speeds if you get anything out of kilter how do you prepare yourself then to deal with that the competitive edge, the just the stress that you're putting yourself under. Um, yeah, what what do you do? What do you have a ritual, a mantra? Like, how do you prepare yourself for that sort of thing? I think it's. Um at first I was quite frantic my first kind of couple of years in the sport I was very frantic and it would be just adrenaline rush going from event to event traveling around the world not having any downtime and not not like having that dip in adrenaline and I think that catches up with you very quickly you burn out um I remember I went you know I have reflexology and things like that now and she's always like oh your adrenals you need to do this you need to do that and um that's kind of turned into quite a big part of my life and the the other balance side of keeping my life um normal and not just finding that I'm in this flight or fight zone all the time you know I had doctor after doctor tell me oh you need to you need to have a holiday you need to stop working you need to chill out and you know when some people say that to you you're thinking oh yeah but what it doesn't make any sense but I think actually especially during lockdown and you you know everything was put on pause for everyone I think you realize how tired you were and how frantic your life was and I think it it does make you reevaluate a little bit um I think the practices that I took I started working with a sports psychologist um and he was talking a lot about um, visualization and anchoring. So it's an anchoring technique and it's just like, I won't go into the long details of it, but he basically makes an MP3, so an audio track that I listen to from here. Um, and it's timed to exactly how the race format would be on the day. So the first three minutes before the race where I'll be in the car, going through time controls, handing forms over, putting my gloves on. Um, and he'll talk it through and I'll sit there in my bedroom or wherever and I'll listen to it and I'll hear the car, you can almost smell the petrol. And the putting the gloves on is, he's always says imagine you're confident and you're going to go and do your best race and put the gloves on and then that technique of them being in the car in real life when I put the gloves on the idea is that you're meant to anchor yourself into that zone because you've trained yourself so many times that that actually brings with it the feeling of confidence um, so I think some little techniques like that have really helped me um, breathing exercises also tricking if you're stressed frantically in your mind um, if you relax your body with breathing techniques it, it, it kind of tricks your mind into thinking that you're relaxed and then your mind relaxes as well so I think there's some really clever things and I read quite a few books on it um I started with the in the game of tennis if anyone wants to check out those books they're really good um but yeah I think that that was definitely kind of the way that I realized I had to slow down in order to speed up on the track um because otherwise I would just turn up to events and especially when I was um filming the CBB show at the same time I would be competing and then I'd fly back and I'd be straight into a week's filming or two weeks filming and then literally I'd fly straight back out to the next event and without any time or saying, actually, I needed a day off, I would turn up to the next event, absolutely exhausted, wouldn't perform my best. And, you know, I, I would literally, I mean, there's only so much you can do, isn't there? So I think yeah, I had to learn that actually the rest is often as important as the training. Yeah, a few things in there. Um, 100%, you don't know you're tired until you sort of stop. 
I've definitely felt that where it's like, oh, I'm fine. It's no, don't worry about it. And there's loads of pressure going on and everything else. And then as soon as you like take the first day of your holiday or something, just absolutely crash. Um, the other thing you mentioned about like the psychology behind it all. So I, I think probably being a like South Yorkshireman, I just kind of shunned it a little bit, but then started doing, um, training Thai boxing with a guy called Joe Craven. He's like WBC ranked. Um, he used to be UK number one. I think he's number two now, but, um, and there's a guy in there called Liam Harrison, who is an eight-time world champion. And he uses a fellow called Vinny Shawman. And they do that anchoring stuff. He bangs his gloves together before a fight. And it like just sends him into this really strange like hypnosis-type zone where you've been doing it repetitively for weeks and weeks and weeks. And obviously, he's a similar situation to you. He fights on these huge shows with loads of pressure. He obviously could get knocked out like and really irks. is a fight. Um, but it kind of just changes all demeanor. And I think that prep of you've been in this before, settle yourself, this, you've seen it every day, even though it is sat on your couch or listening to it, then obviously it can settle you that way. So yeah, the mental thing of it is definitely something. I spoke to Jamie Peacock, um, rugby captain, not that long ago, and he was talking about how um, the only things he could control were his mental fortitude and his physical fitness. And those are the only two things he ever focused on. But going from farm, at what point did you decide, like, this is something I want to do as a career? And how did you then take the leap? I don't think it was ever something that I thought, right, okay, this is a vocation, you know, because it's pretty wacky, it's pretty out there. Um, and especially with how expensive it is, I guess that kind of ties back into the mindset thing of what you can control. I think with motorsports, you know, it's such an expensive sport that unless you've kind of, you know, you've got a lot of money and you're able to just say, it doesn't matter, I'm always going to have enough to compete you have to kind of let that go as one of the things that might not always be in your control. Um, yes, of course you can be looking for as much sponsorship as you can and you can be, you know, working on that every day, but at the same time, you know, you can't magic it out of nowhere. So when you're thinking about things you can control, it's how fast you can be your physical fitness and the mental state as well. So it really does come back to those things. Um, and I think I kind of did what I could with what I had at the time. Um, so I, I was lucky because my first test um, that I went to that I mentioned earlier was with Peugeot Sport in France and they were looking for a young female uh, well a young driver and also then there was a lack of women in the championship so it worked quite well um, and they kind of wanted someone that they could train up work with their engineers that didn't have the bad habits that hadn't been in the sport for years and years um, so it's kind of like a project from the beginning working its way up um, so I was quite lucky that I was right place right time with that um, and I started um, competing well I had to do six rally six or five rallies in England to get my international license so that was just like with my dad co-driving you know grassroots level and um, we just needed to get signatures on my license to be able to qualify for the international championship um, and then I got some sponsorships to go out and do my first rally in Belgium um, and um, from there I did that rally on the same basically qualifying was the, the, the afternoon of my A-level exam which I took in England so it was straight on the Euro tunnel and over into that so that attracted quite a good story and the um, BBC News and stuff followed me over there, which was cool. Um, so it, it attracted a bit of momentum and um, I got some kind of media coverage um, and I was on BBC Breakfast and stuff like that. And then I think from there, it brought in some sponsors, um, which, you know, is is really difficult in motorsport was trying to well any sport i think but especially motorsport when you're looking for such large numbers i think trying to find an edge that makes you stand out from people is quite tough um maybe it was easier for me because i was a girl but i don't think it definitely didn't bring more opportunities if you know what i mean um i think it's you know still it's still a difficult um job for any driver to try and secure funding for the season and to be honest that's still such a big part of it as well you know the driving kind of is 10 percent, and the rest of it is the business 90 percent 90 percent of it and how you market yourself and 
your appearance and um, everything like that, all the other work that you do to be able to make sure that you're in a position to be able to drive. Um, so um, I've gone sidetracked now, but that was kind of, <laughs> how it just kind of took from there, you know, when, when you get a bit of commitment from sponsors and then you start to build this brand awareness around you. And I think that's when you, you say, okay, we'll go with this for as long as we can. That's throwing something up and personal brand and how you market yourself. Obviously something that a lot of people struggle with, I think, in whatever industry they're in how do you identify what your personal brand is how do you work out what you want it to be and then push that out to give the right messages i think i had a lot of guidance i was really lucky that my parents were really involved in in my career in terms of my dad had been in motorsports we'd seen um you know how to do it or how not to do it um from years of just watching other drivers and stuff and um my mum used to work in tv she was a makeup artist um so she was always in you know she was aware of circles and how media works and even my sister now she worked in um tv and in the costume side so it's sort of kind of divided in the family one show business one's motorsport um but um i think they were quite Quite influential in directing me obviously I started um, competing in the European Championship I think I was 17 um, so obviously I'd come out of school I didn't know anything about business um, and suddenly I'd find myself with CEOs of companies asking for sponsorship and having had no training in my life I didn't even have a CV you know it was, and so I had to I think grow up very quickly and um, I think that was the biggest thing and um, you know the maturity of business and, and making sure that you were respectable and I think keeping it classy as well I think there's always especially women in motorsport there's such a fine line um, you know some you know in historically in the past it's been like grid girls and you know sit on the bonnet, um, bonnet of cars and everything like that and I think making sure that you're actually being taken seriously as a driver is probably one of the biggest fights um, but we're not just there for photos and stuff you know we're there to race as well so I think that being probably overly cautious with that side of things is really important. Um, and I think that's changing now, you know, there's, there's great campaigns coming up for women in motorsport. And I think that there are, they, you know, we are getting more credibility and you know, the people are getting faster, which is the most important thing. And um, cause the opportunities are there and the, the training starting to come through as well. Um, but yeah, I think in the early days, it was definitely down to my parents guidance. Cause you know, if I was just a kid coming out of school. I wouldn't have had any idea how to behave really. Every time we talk, there's like five, six things that I want to sort of dig into. <laughs> uh, interesting. You talked about um, the grid girls and that kind of previous ideologies around women in motorsport again something that transfers sector sport industry all that sort of stuff it's, it's definitely there the easiest way to differentiate yourself is, is just be better at the thing you're trying to do than the other person and i think that always gets recognized being as good as you are obviously helps in there yeah. you spoke about a few of the the, the initiatives from getting women into sport and I, i've seen a couple of bits on, on articles and stuff you've you commented online about um susie wolf's dare to be different campaign for people that don't know what is it how did you get involved what did you get out of get out of it as well well that campaign has actually i think it's just transferred into the women in motorsport so for years it was susie wolf's dare to be different campaign and i was kind of with her since the beginning on that um she kind of set that up because she said that when she was growing up there weren't the female role, model, role models to look for her to look up to in motorsport um so she was paving the way kind of on herself a bit um i would think i got into contact with susie because we started where i had her agent so her first agent was my first agent i think so that's kind of how, how that connection grew um 
but she she was setting up this kind of um, campaign where we'd go to a racetrack and there'd be somebody from Sky Sports that was a female presenter um, and then there would be some mechanics from one of the team there might be an engineer um, from a different Formula One team some people from Pirelli all of these were women you know and then we had um, um, some girls that did some karting and some um, Formula Three and stuff and then I was there as one of the driver representatives as well and we'd get a group of girls whether it be school girls or girl guides or whatever it would be um, and they'd come in and learn about motorsport and not just from the driver's side but from all of the different um, careers that are in in, in around motorsport um, and so she, they would get a taste of it at the right age which is what is one of the reasons we, we think that you know the women aren't at the top of uh, Formula One for example is because there's so many guys entering you know when you think of a karting um, at the weekend how many young boys are karting compared to the amount of girls um, and not every one of those young boys is going to be champions so you can't expect the one girl that goes to be a champion as well you know you've got to have the sheer volume of numbers of people coming in because there's so many things um, in motorsport that will impact whether you're successful whether it would be your height whether it would be your connections whether it would be your ambition and your motivation and your talent of course but there's so many factors as you get older through motorsport that kind of filters people out you need to be having a really big pool at the bottom to to filter all the way up through to the tops of motorsport and that needs in formula one especially it needs to be happening at the right age Riley's slightly different you know we we don't you don't you know i think the world champion when did he get into it? i think he was 22 23 or something so it's quite old for motorsport um but i think that that campaign was really important to show girls that actually they can have a career in motorsport um and we used to the girls used to come in and put their hand up if anyone thought about a career in motorsport before and everyone would sit there with their hands down and then by the end of the day they're like oh, i want to be a race engineer i want to do aerodynamics and all that kind of thing so it was really cool how um how would you then because you mentioned it's a numbers thing and i think um so i i do it recruitment completely different but um with jet two for example they're a company that i talked to a relatively fair bit and um they to say that women pilots was a, was a thing for them, like trying to get female pilots. And it, it was that. It wasn't that, if you look at the numbers and percentages, it's heavily skewed towards men. It's not because they don't want women or they don't think women could do the job as well. It was just there were very few applying or decided that they wanted to be a pilot. How do you then get the numbers through? How, how are you encouraging younger girls to get involved in it? What, what are you doing? What have you seen done? Well, exactly that, just getting them in, you know, getting them interested in it at a young age. Um, I think that's all probably the boys have, you know, they get bought cars and stuff when they're kids um, as little toys and stuff. And I think that's probably all it takes really to spark, spark an interest in someone. Um, I think, of course, you know, the more women that we have on TV in Formula One races and, you know, in the paddock and um, just out there in the public eye, the more people will think it's an option for them. And I think it's all about giving them the option. Now it's joined with the Women in Motorsport Commission, that organisation. So it's now, um, I think it's they're running a campaign, which is Girls on Track. So it's giving um, almost like scholarships and um, mini, mini uh, championships and things like that around Europe to some, um, to some girls as well, which is cool. Um, but I think filtering up towards, you know, the upper levels of motorsport and the top tiers. Um, one thing that's actually really exciting at the minute, um, I'm in the driver's pool for a programme, um, which is next year a new championship called Extreme E. Um, and that is basically um, now it's just it's being announced now that each team will have two drivers, so one female and one male. And the, the time, uh, so the race time, the overall time will be the female's lap and the male's lap combined. So it's not going to be women are chosen for PR of, you know, being there, but nobody really cares how they finish. Now it's going to impact the male's results. So I think that's so powerful to actually for, for, the, for the industry to be seeing us in the same light. And, you know, girls are going to be chosen because they're fast. Um, 
the same as boys are and always have been as well um so that's really cool um and that's a cool thing to be a part of and i think that does a lot for um motorsport and visibility going forwards as well you're competing on merit again so yeah exactly. it's a level peg in just on always comes uh, back to that yeah coming up through the ranks um did you have any negative experiences being a girl was it daunting at any point not kind of negative but a bit of a shock to me because obviously um i being being a girl i attracted more media attention and as i said my first rally was the same weekend as one of my a levels and stuff so there was already media attention around it because we'd you know we put it out there so of course you know you kind of have to expect it but i think the pressure that you have because people are watching you more because oh there's a girl over there let's see how she does rather than if you were a young boy having a go on his first event people wouldn't really think anything of it they say oh he's a beginner he's just learning and i think that you don't really get given that as a girl you're judged quite quickly on um because people are watching so i think that was the probably the only difference and obviously there's some comments from that saying oh my son could be doing it he could be faster and you know all of that and i think that you know it's just the way always the way it is isn't it i think people have always got opinions and things like that but um I think as soon, what we always said was, you know, we're here, I am a beginner, um, I'm learning, um, the same as everybody learns and everybody starts somewhere. Um, and I think when, as soon as you start to get faster, that, you know, that's where your respect and your credibility comes from. And that's the only voice you really need. Yeah. Yeah. I think the message is pretty clear, isn't it? Is, is you're going to get doubters and naysayers and stuff in any industry. It doesn't really matter about gender. You get it in, in anything, but um, performance obviously speaks more than any of that, doesn't it? I think is yeah. the general message it's good to hear a positive breakthrough because there's a lot of, of stuff when we, we talk to to girls who are breaking into industries that are particularly not um heavily filled with females but um they tend to feel like they're given lesser opportunity or um like they're not um exposed to as the way you said like they get a bit more pressure to perform and things like that but it sounds like that's not been too big of a problem for you to break through just because you've been judged on performance, which I think is the right way to do it. Um, what advice would you give then to someone looking to, or, or young female looking at a new career path, whether it's rally or flying airplanes or whatever it is, how would you advise them to go about it? Well, for motorsport, I think you always kind of start and you look at your grassroots so routes. So you'd look at the local motor club and who you could contact in there that would be able to help you. And then you, you can go along to some events and start helping out. And then you meet some contacts and then they can contact you with other people. You know, it's a kind of um, a networking, um, which really helps. And, you know, it's, it's working with like-minded people and learning from them. I think in other careers, um, I would probably say the same. I'd say, you know, contact. I mean, it's so easy nowadays. You just have to like send someone an Instagram DM and then um, hopefully they'll see it in their requests <laughs> you just look for someone that you um you're inspired by and then ask them how they did it if they know anyone um that they could speak to or um you know there's programs like women of the future that i'm a part of as well which is um an organization where we have ambassadors so i think there's some fighter pilots in there there's some people that are head of um, coca-cola you know all girls but we have an event once a year in london um and we all come together share our experiences and networking again um but then we we also work with university students so we'll have university students that are really interested in banking and they'll come along and we'll be in one of the banks in london and there'll be contacts and i think it's just getting yourself out there as much as possible um you know learning your trade and then just really pushing it and just just a lot of it is about who you know and who you'll put yourself in front of i think um so that'd be my biggest tip my industry and um, we do oh, there's lots of organizations that do women in tech women in business all these sorts of stuff um and i have a little bit of a gripe about it because i think getting all the women together is great to like build confidence in the women but it, you need to be showing the men that they're there on merit and i think mixed events for me 
are probably the way forward, but showcasing strong female leaders or high achieving women in whatever they do to those people. Cause then it, it's going back to that performance thing. It's, it's measured on results and it's, there's very little judgment there. There's very little to argue with, but I think if they need to be on a platform or put on more of a platform to more people versus these quite small ish women led events would you agree or do you think yeah no i think and you know it's something that we I, yeah i actually had this exact conversation with susie once and she was saying you know at the minute we're still having to call ourselves female drivers and we're still having to brand ourselves as a women only organization to make people aware that women can do this job you know to really blast it in the media's face and into people's faces she said ultimately the point of this campaign will be to, be to normalize those numbers so that then it will just be drivers and it will just be a driver's association and that you know there will be no need for us and that's when we've succeeded um so i think that's probably the point with a lot of those kind of places is you know just shout about it and scream it so that people know but as you say ultimately and that's why i never really agree with the female only racing series you know i think that yeah they can look fast but i think unless you're putting them against the top drivers who are men at the minute or you know they might be females but jet the general top driver class if that's all together and there's some females in there against the men i think that speaks so much louder than um girls racing each other against each other and i think that's exactly the same as what you were talking about in the other industries if you show this level is you know they're good and they're good against the guys as well i think that's so much more powerful yeah um but you are right by saying the branding it and making the noise saying we're women and we're here and we're in this industry and we're doing these things is what you need to get the traction in the first place so there's probably a point at which it tips or you get enough people with merit who are women that you can then go out and start doing that and pushing that message but getting people together in the first place and for such a young age to be breaking the mold beating men a a dominated male dominated sport um and standing in your own right as like you said a driver it's not about women it's not about this it's about if you're fast you're fast absolutely shared those in there it's been great talking to you and and thanks for uh, for joining me today for quick natter about women in male dominated industries and your background it's been real oh thanks for having me on really enjoyed chatting to you